Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. Good morning, everybody. My name is Jared. I'm the lead pastor here, and today we're beginning a brand new message series called When God Doesn't Make Sense. When God doesn't make sense. And I think this is going to be uh, an encouraging series, but I think it's also going to be a challenging series for us. We're going to be examining different moments in our lives when it just, when, when what we think about God doesn't seem to match up with what we see. Um, I think it's easy for us to look around the world and we can ask this question of, where are you, God? And I think in any of our lives, we can just turn on the TV, we can look on, uh, on the news, we can look on social media. In our own lives, there's a lot of things that happen that are frustrating or challenging, they're confusing. Um, and it's easy for us to say, God, where are you in all of this? Where are you in all of this? And I think that oftentimes, uh, I would say maybe if we're honest, that I've done this at least occasionally in my life where I've fallen into this mode of, it's like, well, if I were God, I think I would do it this way. You know, if I were God, I would, I would, I would show up and I would do this thing. I, I feel like, uh, if we're honest, that most of us would say that, that we don't always know why God does the, way, the things that he does. Sometimes it feels like God isn't listening. Sometimes it feels like he's, he's not paying attention. And so that's what this series is really all about. Now, I want to warn you uh, that this series might frustrate some of you. Uh, the next three weeks, we're going to be dealing with topics that are very real, that are pretty raw, and it might frustrate you, and you might not even really like it. And the reason for that is not because uh, I'm going to yell at you or anything like that, but because there's not really any, any easy steps that we're going to be taking together. This is not a quick fix uh, sort of sort of series. This is not about you know the three easy steps to finding out how to hear from God. It's not like that. Um, it's really about trying to understand who God is from according to God's word. We're going to examine three passages of scripture from the New Testament, stories of where it appears as though God is either inattentive, where God is uh, late, or where he maybe even seems like he's uncooperative. And so we're going to be examining those stories, and then we're going to see what do we do when God seems inattentive? What do we do when it seems like God is late? What do we do when it seems like God is uncooperative? How do we make sense of things when God doesn't make sense? Well, aren't you guys glad you came to church today? Because we're going to be dealing with these topics. Have any of you ever felt like God was inattentive, like, like God's not listening, or that God feels silent? Have any of you ever felt like you prayed and you prayed and you needed God to show up and it seems like God was late? Have any of you ever been praying and you felt like you just, you felt like this thing that I'm praying for that I that I'd want in my life or I feel like it's a dream or a desire of my life and, and it feels like God is uncooperative, like he's not listening to me. And I will say this to you, that Christians oftentimes don't make this uh, easy or oftentimes makes it feel more difficult for us. Um, particularly pastors uh, up on church stages like this, oftentimes you'll hear someone like me talk about how we prayed and God showed up in some incredible way. You know, and, and that God is, 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 is a, he answers prayer. And we always seem to share the stories in churches, not just this church. We, in, in churches all across America, we hear pastors talk about how, you know, pray and have faith and how God shows up. And we love to share these stories of celebration. 
And so we're not doing, you know, it, it makes it more difficult when you're like, that's all well and good, Pastor Jared, but my life right now is not like that. And sometimes our friends, right? Sometimes we look at our, our friends, the people in our lives, and we can see them and, and we see that they have a job that they love. We can see that they're happily married. We can see that they have plenty of money. It seems like they're blessed and think everything is going well. But you, if we're honest, oftentimes we'll look at ourselves and we'll look at them and say, I'm a better person than them. Like, I'm a better Christian than them. I go to church every week. I, 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 you know, I pray and, I, I, and I, I tithe or whatever it might be, right? And oftentimes we look at the people in our lives and we think, God, what's going on? I don't understand. I feel like I live a life that is more faithful to you than they do, and yet it seems like they've got all the blessing and I don't, right? I mean, there are so many different facets to this, but I feel like, I think, I hope that everybody can understand this, this idea, right? I mean, I do, I try my best to stand up here on a Sunday morning and not just share, you know, the blessings and the goodness. And when I say that God is faithful, I believe it. When I have seen him, when I see that I've seen God bless me, I have seen his word be true, but I also try my best to share struggles. And I'll talk about some of them later today, but I certainly understand that if all I all you hear is on a Sunday morning, you know, once a week, you hear Pastor Jared or another pastor, maybe listen to a podcast, I don't know, whatever it might be, that the tendency for us is oftentimes to get fallen into this trap that it seems like that my life doesn't make sense, but it seems like everywhere I turn, everybody's talking about God like everything's hunky-dory and butterflies in the sky. And that's just not the case. And so this series is really all about how do we make sense of things when Life doesn't make sense. Where is God in all of this? Where is God when life doesn't make sense? And so today we're talking about our first one, which is when God seems inattentive. When God seems inattentive, what do we do when God seems inattentive? What do we do when God seems silent in our life? Well, if you're taking notes, I encourage you to pull out your pens and write this thought down. This is the kind of the guiding thought that's going to start us off today. It's this. Write this down. Just because God is silent does not mean that God is absent. Just because God is silent doesn't mean that he's absent. Just because you don't hear him does not mean that God does not hear you. And just because you don't feel his presence does not mean that he is not with you. Just because God is silent doesn't mean that God is absent. We're going to talk about the, our first passage of Scripture that we're going to be uh, looking at in this series is a passage from John the Baptist. John the Baptist uh, was Jesus' cousin, uh, his, he was an interesting dude. John the Baptist was born and had a calling on his life to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. Uh, if you're not familiar with Christianity or even the Jewish religion, the Jewish people had been promised long ago that their Savior, the one, the chosen one, kind of like Neo in the Matrix, the one who was to come, who would save the world, was coming. And they were waiting and waiting and waiting. Well, John the Baptist's job when he was born, the calling on his life was to say, hey, he's almost here. Prepare the way and repent. Now, John was an interesting guy. He lived in the desert. He, among, uh, among his peers, he had an interesting way of dressing. He made an interesting fashion statement because he, uh, the Bible says that John wore animal skins. He didn't, and even at the time, that was a, an interesting fashion statement because, because no one wore that. They were wearing different kinds of outfits, but he was wearing rugged clothes that were made from skins of animals. He ate locusts and honey, but he was also a friend, a hero among the common people because not only was he uh, talking about something that people wanted to hear, that the Messiah is coming, he was baptizing people telling them that there was forgiveness available for them for their sins. He was a good guy, but on top of that, 
The Jewish people at the time were living under an oppressive regime from the Roman, the Roman Empire, and the king of that area, Herod Antipas, was basically a puppet uh, under the Roman Empire. And he was supposed to be a godly king because he was a Jewish king, and so he was held under the Jewish law as well, but he was doing all sorts of things that were not uh, according to the law of the Jewish faith. And so John the Baptist was a hero among the common people, not just because he hung out with them, not because of a message of hope, but also because he stood up for what was right. So he was seeing his government officials saying the things that were wrong, doing the wrong things, and John would stand up and he would confront his government officials who were, who were ungodly, who were doing the wrong things, and he would stand up against them. Now, I want to give you a little bit of context about why this is important, because things end up not going well for John the Baptist. Here's some context. Herod, Antipas, was married. But then he fell in love with his brother's sister. Now, in any circumstances, this is not normal. This is not, this is not acceptable. Even in Roman cultures, it was not okay for you to steal your brother's wife, okay? So Herod, Antipas, the king in this realm at the time, fell in love with his brother's wife, divorced his own wife, and then married her. Her name was Herodias. Now, Herodias was a vile woman. The Bible talks a little bit about her. Uh, Herodias and, then, and the king got married, and then John the Baptist calls him out and says, this is wrong, you have broken your own laws of our own, of our own religious people, and he calls him out and says, this is wrong. You're going to be judged by God for this. And so what happens? John the Baptist ends up getting arrested and thrown in prison for it. So this is where we're going to pick up our story here. We're going to find out what happened here in Mark chapter 6, verses 17 through 20. If you would turn to the Gospel of Mark chapter 6, verse 17, we're going to see how this story unfolds for John. It says, for Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. Herodias hated John the Baptist and wanted to kill him, but she was not able to because Herod feared John. Herod had some respect for him, Herod also was afraid because he knew he had a following. And so he feared him and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and a holy man. So there was some part of John, of some part of Herod that felt like that he might be judged for God. You ever, you ever been in a situation like that where you know what's right, but you do it, you know it's wrong, and then you do it anyway? And so you kind of live in that space, but at the same time, you're not willing to cross a certain line because you feel like the, the smite button might be hit and that lightning bolt might come down and finish you off. That's kind of where Herod was living in the moment. He arrested John because he had to get him out because of his new wife, and he didn't like constantly being reminded of the sin in his life, but he wasn't willing to go that extra line because of his fear of, of, of God's righteousness in John's life. Now let's take a step back a second and see what's going on. So John was faithfully serving God. He was, prepare the way, the Messiah is coming. He would say things like, like, I have to decrease so that he can increase. When the Messiah comes, I won't even be worthy to untie his sandals. Wait till this guy comes. You know, he was preparing the way, paving the way. He was preaching the good news all over the place. And then he gets thrown in prison. So what do you think John's first thought is going to be? 
he says to him, you know what? Jesus is here now. I bet you that Jesus is going to come and come for me and get me out of prison. He sees Jesus going around doing all these miracles. Jesus is he's hearing how Jesus is opening blind eyes. He hears how Jesus is, is touching people who have leprosy. He's like, surely, because I'm his cousin, surely, because I'm his, I'm, I've been preaching the way, paving the way for him, that all he has to do is come in and just, and just get me out of jail. Like, surely, he could do that. Well, John's waiting in prison, and he's waiting for Jesus to come, and he ends up waiting, and he ends up waiting, and he ends up waiting. Jesus does not break him out. He keeps on going through all the towns in Israel, doing his ministry, and John keeps waiting. Now, I want to ask you a question. I want to take a little poll here this morning. Do you think that John stayed strong in his faith, or do you think he struggled in his faith. I want to take a poll. Raise your hand if you think that John stayed strong in his faith in this moment. Let me see your hands if you think so. All right, we've got a couple people. All right. Raise your hand if you think John struggled in his faith in this moment, being stuck in jail. Okay. And raise your hand if you're uncertain and you say, I don't really know this story. I'm new to this. I don't know what to think. All right. So most of us think that John struggled. And I think that's interesting to me because I know that I would be. But here's what happened. This is so interesting. John is a human being. And he ends up having some second thoughts about Jesus. This is interesting. Check out what happens in Matthew chapter 11. The same story told from the perspective of the, of the apostle Matthew, one of Jesus' closest friends. Matthew 11, verses 2 and 3. It says this, When John, who was in prison, who had been waiting for a long time, heard about the deeds of the Messiah. So he hears about... Right? He hears about Jesus going from town to town, performing miracles, getting, gathering this huge following, and he's thinking to himself, surely the Messiah, my cousin, is going to come, and he's going to release me from prison. He sends his disciples to ask Jesus, hey, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? That doesn't sound like a guy to me who's sure of what he believed. Before he was in prison, he pointed the way to Jesus. He said, this is the one. This is the guy. And now John is stuck in jail. His plan is not working the way he thought it would. And so he's like, I don't understand. I don't understand. In other words, what John is asking here is, hey, I have seen you do miracles, but maybe I was wrong. I've been saying prepare the way for you. I've been out there doing all of this for you, but you have not come for me. Maybe you aren't who I thought you were. So he sends some disciples out, and he says, hey, are you the one? And Jesus doesn't say, of course I'm the one. I'm coming to break you out, man. Like, that's not what happens. What does happen? This is so interesting. So we're going to go back now to Ma oh, sorry, Matthew. We're going to continue in verse 4 in chapter 11. Jesus replies. This is what he says. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Now this verse is like this cutting. Imagine yourself, Jesus, are you coming? Are you the one? And then Jesus finishes his thing up by saying, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Ouch! 
Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on the account of me. In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, you report back and tell John that I'm doing all of these things. The thing that you said who I was, I'm performing miracles. I'm saving people. People are coming to know who I am. And I want you to sit tight and I want you to deal with it for me and don't complain about it. That's basically what's happening right here is Jesus is saying, blessed are you. You are in the good spot. You, It's joyful. It's the right thing for you to be going through what you're going through and to not like stumble on the account of what I'm doing. If I'm John, I'm like frustrated. I'm ticked off. I don't understand, God. You, you told me to do this and I didn't. This is what I get. This is what I get for, for, for worshiping you, for following you. You're healing other people. You're doing all these miracles, but you can't come and get me. And blessed are those who don't stumble on the account of you. And on top of that, he didn't even come himself. He sent a group text. Tell, tell John I said this. I mean, how much worse could it get for John? John is frustrated. He's feeling alone. He's feeling like God is not paying attention to him. He's thinking, this is not the plan that I had for my life. I don't understand, Jesus. Why aren't you coming and helping me? So what happens? Jesus continues his ministry. John keeps waiting. And Herod decides to throw a raging party. Now we go back, we're going to go back to Mark, and here's what happens. So, you know, the king throws this incredible party, invites all his friends, people are drinking, wine is flowing, they're all drunk, and I can just imagine the king, you know, sitting on his throne, having a great time, he's like, oh man, this is great, we're having such a good time. Like, I can imagine Herod being this bro who's just sitting there, like, having a great time. There's, like, music playing. Everybody's having a great time. He's got his friends here. They're all having a blast. And, you know, like drunk people do, they go, oh, man, you're so good. You're great. You're the best. Isn't this the best? And he's like, you know what? This is awesome. This is so much fun. And then what happens is Herodias, his wife, sends his, her daughter Salome out. We don't know how. I'm not exactly sure if it's Salome or Salami or whatever. It's S-A-L-O-M-E. So, this teenage daughter, she sends her to dance before the king. Now, in my mind, my pure and holy mind, I think she's doing a lovely ballet routine for the, for the king, right? More likely, she's probably doing some level of, you know, maybe something a little bit more scandalous, okay? The Bible doesn't tell us exactly what it is. There, is, uh, there are plays out there, um, you know, literature that kind of fictionalizes this. Uh, but something happens to the king. He's drunk, and he goes... That was incredible. Like he's overwhelmed by the dance of this young woman in front of him. And like any drunk king does who has all the power in the world, he says, that was incredible. Ah, that was wonderful. Whatever you want, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. Just name it. And what does she do? She goes back to her mom, right, and thinks and says, mom. The king said, I can have whatever I want. And the king's probably thinking, she's a teenager. She's going to want, like, a new iPhone. She's going to want, like, a pony or maybe, like, tickets to see Justin Bieber or something. And what happens is that Herodias says, ah, this is the moment. So she tells Salome, Salami, Salome, to go to the king and say, I want the head of John the Baptist. I want him. I hate him, and I want him dead. Now the king has an incredibly sobering moment. An incredibly sobering moment, and he has a decision to make. Now, what happens? What does the Bible tell us happens? Well, there was an earthquake, and an angel comes down into the cell, 
And in that moment, John's shackles fall off of his arms and the, the gate to his prison door opens and he walks out and smoke is puffing everywhere and he's got a blue face on like in Braveheart and he goes, freedom! And he walks out and he moves to the suburbs and he finds a, a beautiful wife who also loves animal print and, and they have two kids and a dog in the suburbs and that's what happens according to the Bible. Actually, that's not true. That's not what happens. We see that in the book of Acts and other places, but this is not John's story. That's not John's story. We see, actually, incredible miracle moments of release from prison in the book of Acts and other places where there is earthquakes, where there is chains falling off of prisoners. We see this, but that's not John's story. In fact, John is stuck in prison. What actually happens? Let's see what the Bible says. Mark 6, verses 26 and 28. The king was greatly distressed because he had made an oath and his dinner guests were there. He did not want to refuse this young girl, so he immediately sent the executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison, and brought back his head on a platter. That was it. That was John's story. What do we do when it doesn't look like God makes sense, when our life doesn't make sense? You know, John the Baptist served Jesus faithfully, and Jesus had the power to rescue John, but he didn't. Where is God? The interesting thing is, is that John's purpose actually was fulfilled in life. John went about, before he was in prison, telling him the reason that he existed was to prepare the way and to point to the Messiah. John's purpose was fulfilled. John did actually do what he was called to do in life. And more importantly, God's purpose was fulfilled just not according to John's plan. And this is interesting to know the distinction between plans and purpose. This is what Proverbs has to say about it. Proverbs 19.21 says this, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. Many are the plans. You and I have plans for your job, for your finances, for your work situations, for your family, for how you want to spend your money for the vacations, for how you want your kids to grow up, what you want them to do, the clothes that you have, the places you're going to live, all of these things, right? Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Most of you know that right now my life is in a sort of state, state of limbo, most of you are aware that I'm currently looking for work in the professional world to go back into the private sector where I was before we started the church, and the, the job search is, is slow. I mean, there's steps and there's leads, but I don't know what's going on. I thought that I would have a job by now. Many of you might know that my son uh, is finishing, middle, uh, finishing elementary school, and his next school that's coming up, uh, we're not sure where he's going to go. We had to apply for different uh, public schools, and he's on the waiting list for all of them, and the one that we wanted the most, it doesn't seem likely that he's going to get into, and so we're waiting again in another spot where we don't know what's happening. My wife is in school, and we don't know what's next for her after she finishes. We're looking to buy a house, and there don't appear to be any houses on the market. Everything in my life right now feels like waiting, waiting, waiting. God, this is not my plan. This is not what I thought it was going to be like. It seems like everywhere I turn, I don't have an answer. But I will tell you this. I don't despair. I'm not sad. I'm not frustrated. Sometimes I'm frustrated. But I'm not despairing. I'm not sitting down wondering and, and, and lamenting over the fact of my situation. Why? Because 
I know that God's word is true. I know that God's word is true, and the experiences of my life have lined up and proven that God's word is true. So remember back in the beginning of the message when I said that pastors love to sit up here and tell stories of how God is faithful and how God blesses and how I prayed and God answered. Well, I can tell you that those stories are true. But I also just told you what I just mentioned about my life and the current state of the situation in my life, and that is equally true. But the, here's what I want you to understand. When it says that the plans of a person's heart are many, but the purpose of the Lord is what prevails, is that I have seen God's word to be true, and over the course of my life, I have seen how when my life doesn't make sense, when things are not working the way that they're supposed to be, when my plans are not unfolding the way that I wanted them to, I have seen God's word come to pass in due time. That's the purpose of this. You know, it's so interesting to me. I've told you stories before of my, my youth of when I was a teenager and how I made a lot of bad decisions. My parents wouldn't give up. They kept praying for me. They would not stop pointing me to Jesus. And so they kept taking me to, um, to youth camps and, and connecting me with youth groups. And I remember one time they sent me to uh, a youth ministry and there was like a weekend retreat that was happening on the other side of Pennsylvania over in Greencastle, I believe it was. And I remember the youth pastor at the time was named Chad Stecker. I remember uh, riding in the, in the minivan, like one of those big sort of youth pastor, 16 passenger vans on the way to this place. And I remember just being a little jerk. I was just miserable. I was such a snot. I was like a horrible person. Everything I said was sarcastic. I didn't want to be there. And I remember this youth pastor, God bless him, just trying to be nice and, you know, welcome me and help me to feel like I was having a good time. I remember him trying his best to just tell me, like, things are going to get better. Don't worry. Like, you know, and I'm like the whole time I'm just like flipping him off in my head. You know, that's how I felt. And I, you guys know that, know my story that, that eventually, you know, the Lord broke through and, and brought me to him, and I gave my life to him. When we moved to Pittsburgh, you fast forward throughout life. I went to school uh, at Southeastern University and got ministry. I met my wife there. We became youth pastors at the Vineyard Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, then we eventually moved to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where we were part of a church plant in, um, in the south side. And then one day while I was at Lifestone at this church, I was going to a friend's bachelor party in Newcastle. And we, I show up there in this church, like fellowship hall, where the party was being, was taking place. And guess who the pastor is? Chad Stecker. Chad Stecker. And in that moment, something, it was like, it was like this, this, uh, I don't know, like pause and rewind and then replay kind of moment all in one, where I felt like God said to me, Jared, the day that you were in the van with that man, I saw you here today. I am standing here right now in front of you talking about this topic, this very topic of what do we do when it seems like God is inattentive? What do we do when it seems like nothing is making sense? And I can tell you today that God knew that I would be here today to prepare this message to talk to you about hope and God's purposes back when I thought my life would be nothing. Years ago, over 20 years ago. It's amazing. It's amazing. Proverbs. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Because God's word is true and because God is always faithful. 
because he is always faithful. We don't always see his plan unfolding the way that we want to. We don't always know why things are happening, but God's word is true, that he is faithful in our life. If we look back and we see how he's operated, he will always be faithful according to his purposes because God's word is true and because God is always faithful. Write this down if you're taking notes. You don't have to understand the plan to trust God's purpose. You don't have to understand the plan. John didn't understand the plan. He thought in the moment that things were not going the way they were supposed to, but we look overall and we see that God's purpose was still accomplished. You don't have to understand the plan to trust God's purpose. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Maybe for some of you, you've prayed for someone and that person still died. Maybe you have worked really hard and you still lost your job. Maybe you've battled through depression or you've prayed for migraines or health issues. You don't have to understand God's plan in order for you to trust his purpose. God is still good. He is still a good God. He has a purpose for what is happening in your life. I'm not saying it's from him, but I am saying that he will use it. The Bible is so clear on that, that our purpose in life is not to have everything that we want or even to be uh, healthy all the time or that everything is going to be easy or simple or that we're going to get what we want or that things are going to work the way they are or the way that we want them to. The Bible is clear that it is his purposes, that God is working all things in a direction, in a trajectory according to what is best for what he is trying to accomplish. And sometimes, sometimes the things that we desperately want in life, if we got them, it would ruin something else for someone else. And I know it's hard for us because we live in an incredibly individualistic society where we think that if I just do the right things, then I deserve the right thing. And maybe in a perfect world we do. But if I get this thing, then maybe, maybe, just maybe, this person won't have it and maybe they need it more than I do. I don't know. But God is, is sovereign. God is aware. God's word is true. You have to determine in your heart that God's word is true and that his purposes will prevail. If you believe it, then no matter what's happening in your circumstance, even if you can't see it, That right now you have to say, I trust your purpose, God. I can't see it. I don't know what it is, but I trust that you are doing something good. We can't interpret the goodness of God through our circumstances. This is so important. I want to say it again. Listen to me. Everybody look at me here. We cannot interpret our circumstances through We cannot interpret the goodness of God through our circumstances. If we're constantly saying, well, my life is good, well, then God must be good, but then things are bad that I don't know if God is anymore, that's us. That's not God. God is not unwavering. Is wavering like that. We cannot interpret the goodness of God through our circumstances. We must interpret our circumstances through the goodness of God. And so when we're asking this question, what's the plan, God? I believe that God is asking us back through his word, do you trust my purpose? We want to know the plan. I get it. Like, hey, could you just let me know what's happening? But sometimes we're not going to be brought in because he has a greater purpose that is beyond us. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. My faith cannot be in my plan. My faith is in God's purpose. You know, Jesus went through this thing. I love this that we see in Jesus. You know, when the Bible says that that he experienced every emotion that a, that a human being could, a lot of people go, no, 
that's not possible. There's not, there are so many stories in scripture that show us the humanity of Jesus. Did you know that Jesus struggled with this very concept, this very idea in the garden of Gethsemane before he, before he went to the cross, he's sitting there praying and he's, he's, he's God, right? We believe that Jesus was both divine and both human at the same time. And he's sitting there in the garden kneeling and he knows that he's about to go to the cross and he's praying to his father, is there another way? I mean, is there any other way? I don't want to do this. His humanity was raging inside of him. Is there another way? Can, can there be someone else? Is there anything else that can happen? I don't want to go through this. And we see Jesus going to the cross. And while he's on the cross, the Bible says that Jesus cries out, God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? Do you remember that? In scripture, Jesus, our savior, like, is crying out in a moment where he felt like his father had left him. Where are you? Why have you forsaken me, God? I love the humanity, the beauty of this moment. Why are you silent? Why won't you speak? Why won't you show me? Why won't you do something? Why do you seem inattentive to my life? Is that you today? Do you feel that way? Just because God is silent does not mean he is absent. And here we are 2,000 years later And our faith is centered around a moment where God seemed inattentive. Do you understand that? God seemed inattentive on the cross. Our Savior was crying out in the moment of humanity, where are you, God? Why did you leave me here alone? I thought you'd be with me in this moment. His humanity screaming out. And we're here today because God's purpose was fulfilled. Do you understand? God's purpose is greater than anything our circumstances could ever be. But God loved us enough to let his son suffer. And even though the disciples' plan wasn't fulfilled, they were, they were freaked out. They, G, Peter tried to chop off the ear of, of one of, the, one of the, the guards who were coming to arrest Jesus. Their plan was to get Jesus and run away. And Jesus said, no, stop. My father has a purpose that is greater than what you can see right now. So whenever God doesn't make sense, and you cry out, and things don't go the way that we think that they should, we have to remember. We don't have to understand the plan to trust God's purpose. We don't have to understand the plan to trust God's purpose. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Never interpret God's goodness through the lens of our circumstances. We always interpret our circumstances through the goodness of God. When I don't understand the plan, I trust in God's purpose for my life. Just stand with me. Let's pray together. For some of you in the room, there's something that in your life that doesn't make sense. There's a big burden challenge, you feel heavy, you wish something was different, I want to pray for you right now. I want to pray that God would do a miracle in your life. And if that's you, just just right now, I want you to just acknowledge that. I am this person right now. My life is frustrating. I don't understand. There's something weighing on me. I want this to change. I want something to be different. And you feel like maybe right now God is inattentive, that he's not paying attention to you. He's not hearing you right now. Father, I pray that you would act in your power. 
I declare in Jesus' name for physical healings and bodies. I declare in Jesus' name finances to come in in abundance. I pray that relationships would be restored in the name of Jesus. We pray that relationships would be, would be healed. I pray that jobs would come. I pray that houses would come onto the market. God, we pray for you to do the things that I know you have the power to do. We ask for circumstances to be changed. We ask that you would show up powerfully and mightily in lives. I pray that you would boost our faith, that you would strengthen us, that you would answer the prayers, that you would hear, that you would not act as inattentive in Jesus' name. But Lord, I also ask for faith to trust in your purpose. And sometimes when things don't go the way that we think they should, that we would take our eyes off of our plan and instead ask for your purpose to be done. That's what our Father, that's what Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer. He said, not my will, but yours be done. That's what we want. God, would you help us? That even if the miracle doesn't come in our timing, maybe it doesn't ever appear to come, God, would you build faith and trust inside of us to trust in your purpose, that you are a good God, that your word is true, that you would show us how our lives have reflected that when we trust you, you are faithful. We ask for that in Jesus' name. Some of you in the room, your life doesn't make sense and you feel like you've exhausted every option and you don't know where to look. I would tell you to look up to God. Look up to him and here's what I believe you'll see. I believe you'll see a God who does not always make sense, but a God who loves you so much that he would send his own son to give his life for you, to give you hope, to give you peace, to show you that you are worth something, that you are not a mistake, that you are not held back by your guilt, that he can forgive you for your sin, that there's never too much that you've done, that there are no, no wrongs that you can't, uh, can't overcome, that you're not held by those things for the rest of your life. Some of you, are in a low place and all you can do is look up. Some of you are in a high place. Life is good, but you feel empty. Look up because the reality is, the reality is because of our sin nature, we have all fallen short of God's goodness and his standard. And therefore we need his grace. We need him to change us. We need him to save us. And when we recognize all of this, some of you today, Maybe even for the first time, you've been coming to church for a long time, to a church somewhere. Maybe you grew up in church, but for the first time right now, you feel God drawing you and you recognize all of this today. That maybe everything that has happened in your life has brought you to today, to this place of recognizing that you need the goodness. You need the grace and mercy of God. And now you respond by saying from your heart, I need you, God. If that's you, just say that I need you, God. I give my life to you. I believe in you, Jesus. I believe you are the Son of God. I don't know what else to do. I'm looking up and I'm crying out for your help. Jesus, save me. Forgive me. I'm coming for you. I will live my life for you. I receive your mercy and your grace. I say yes to Jesus. Father, thank you for what you are doing and what you have done. We trust in your purpose trust in your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. 
Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.